that uh, this virtual broadcast of worship is, it brings us together with uh, brothers and sisters maybe we haven't seen for a while or we just in a different episode of life um, had connection with. And so it's fun for me, I'm, I'm looking on the screen uh, as we're broadcasting on, on an iPad and just seeing faces and names that come up. And uh, Bob Wolfbrem of Gurney, Illinois, I saw you. So thanks for being with us. It's been a while since we've been in church together. So that's really cool. Um, but this week I was talking with our, our worship leader, Aaron. And, you know, usually I try and give the worship leaders a heads up on where I'm going in worship. And I say, Aaron, okay, man, I'm going to try my best to, to do uh, Luke 18, verses 18 through 30. And... Uh, and he just chuckled, you know, and, and I know why he chuckled. Because God has continued to interrupt, and this week, and not unfortunately, praise the Lord, has interrupted once again. Because as I was in his word, uh, in the Gospel of Luke, still, in chapter 6, he just impressed upon me a, a concept. And it actually came out of Luke chapter 6, which is Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, or the Sermon on the Plain. It was... Uh, a flat area, at least it says in that, that passage. Because um, typically I'm an expository preacher. Right? I take one passage, I take it apart, I talk about you know how it works, how it's connected to Jesus, to the gospel, to other parts of the scripture, and how we ought to live that out in our hearts, in our behavior. Um, but this week's passage, <laughs> there is no one passage where this week's message is rooted in the bigger narrative of the scripture, of our God. A God who has, through his people, through history, has worked in them and through them. And is still doing that today. So what I want you to see today is that we are in an extraordinary time. And God is calling us to, ex to exhibit extraordinary faith in Him, an extraordinary God. And so I hope this is going to encourage you. I hope it's going to remind you. And I hope it's going to challenge you. Because I believe this is what God is doing in our midst. And I think you'll see what I mean here. I'm just going to catalog off a few things to you right now. Moses, with his toes at the edge of the Red Sea, with Pharaoh and his army bearing down. Joshua and the children of Israel at the bottom of the, of the tall walls of Jericho, marching around seven times, looking for them to fall. David, encountering a giant, a nine-foot killing machine named Goliath. Elijah, up on Mount Carmel, facing 450 prophets of Baal, and just him, the lone prophet of the Lord, to prove who really is the living God. The city of Jerusalem and King Hezekiah, surrounded by the Assyrian army, nowhere to go. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Babylon, 
being ready to be thrown into a furnace that is heated seven times hotter than ever before. Esther, the queen, deciding that she's going to appear before King Xerxes without asking permission, which could mean her very life. 5,000 people that need to be fed, and all found is five loaves and two fishes. Standing at the empty grave of Jesus, with only grave clothes contained therein, three days after Jesus was crucified. The apostles, charged by the governing religious officials of Sanhedrin, not to speak in Jesus' name. I just cataloged off ten accounts. But each one of them was an extraordinary time. A situation that's atypical, a situation that's not the norm, that's unprecedented, and usually negative. It's a crisis, or heading that way. And I think our current situation with this COVID-19 fits the bill. And so it does call for extraordinary faith. That is action, or even resting. Trusting and having reliance not on self, whether that's corporate or individual, in our material resources, our inventions, our ingenuity or intelligence, our ability, or even just our strength to endure. And I'm grateful for those who are pursuing cures. But our current situation seems to have outstripped all those things. And so it calls for faith in an extraordinary God. A God who made everything. A God who is in control of everything, for whom nothing is too difficult. But also God who says, I love you. I made you in my image. And although we as a race have oftentimes turned our backs on him, even denied his own existence, he still pursues us. And he's involved in the lives of men and women. And ultimately it came to be expressed in Jesus Christ, God who put on flesh and dwelt among us. God is still involved in the lives of men and women. And you know what? My little sample size of 10, I probably could have multiplied that times 10. And those are just biblical accounts. Okay? That doesn't, that doesn't account for accounts where God has been involved in the lives of men and women that are not recorded in the scriptures. I'll just give you an example. Ever heard of Oberammergau? Oberammergau. It's a city in Germany. At the time, it was a place in Bavaria. But in 1633, the plague was ravaging Europe. It was a bubonic plague. And the people of Oberammergau, they sought the Lord. And they prayed. And they basically vowed, Lord, if you'll spare us from the plague, every ten years, we will do a passion play that displays the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. His life, his death, and his resurrection. And our descendants will do it. And ever since, 
1633, every 10 years, in Oberammergau, there's been a passion play. Coincidence? Because God spared that city of the bubonic plague. Here's the point. (laughs) The point is, God has been here before. It's history. It's his story. And if you're familiar with the accounts, the biblical accounts I just listed, maybe you're just thinking, you know, what would it have been like to be there? What would it be like to have your feet on the edge of the Red Sea? Or to stand at the bottom of the walls of Jericho? Or to be Esther, waiting to come into the presence of the king? And perhaps we've wondered, putting ourselves in that story, how would I respond? I think we all hope that we would have faith in a God who we believe who can do something and who wants to do something. But oftentimes it's different than we what we expect. But we don't have a time machine. We can't go back in time to put ourselves there. But what we do have is God's biblical track record and our current circumstances before us. I really believe that God has impressed this message upon me to encourage us those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ, to know that this is an extraordinary time. It's a time he's calling us to display extraordinary faith in an extraordinary God. So I want to just stop and pray, because I believe that God wants to speak to this message, and then we'll, we'll dig deeper into this message into God's word. So let me pray for us, and then we'll get going here. So Lord, um, you are the God of all time. You're the God who has our lives in your hands. You have this situation in your hand. And you have this message in your hand. So Lord, help me to say what you want me to say. Help me not to say what you don't want me to say. But Lord, we as your people, we want to respond. We want to respond in faith and to step up for such a time as this. So thank you that you are our God, an extraordinary God who we can worship with all of our hearts. Lord Jesus, it's in your precious name I pray these things. Amen. So, as I take these three E statements, these extraordinary statements, I'm actually going to go in reverse order. Okay? An extraordinary God. A God who has done these things for them. And, and if you have your Bibles, you might want to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse one, uh, chapter 1. Verses 3 through 9. And this is the closest thing we're going to have to a a base passage today. But just listen to this. Listen to this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are being, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith 
which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible, glorious joy. For you are receiving the result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In reading that passage, here's what I want you to know. In our extraordinary God, God has us. He has us. In Christ, we have His great mercy, a new birth into a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. No other person, let alone God, has done that. God who put on flesh and lived life in the frailty as a man and then willingly goes to an unjust death to take our place and then rises from the dead to conquer death. That's why it's called a living hope because Jesus lives, so shall I. And there are benefits there in this passage. And an inheritance that can never perish, spoil our faith, and it's kept in heaven for you, for me. And we're shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. This is a no-lose proposition. But with all of this, even this extraordinary time, there's purpose. Because he says, for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And he says, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which is greater, of greater worth than gold, that it perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You know, God, who's sovereign, who's in control of all this, he's orchestrating all this for our good. For those of us who know Jesus Christ, he's orchestrating this for our good. He's doing this to prove, prune, and purify our faith. You know, something immaterial like faith, it only has worth, it only has value when it's proved, when it's tested, and we take it out to a test drive and see if it actually works. And within this time, we may be discovering that we're actually putting our faith in someone or something else than Jesus himself. Or we're discovering what we've known all along, that the paper mache pillars of this earth are crumbling. They're failing. And so a pruning takes place where Jesus or the Father is pruning those things away, those things that are false or faulty, to remove them in order that there might be a purity. That is faith in Jesus Christ alone. He's got this, and he's got us. And if you've not yet put your faith in Jesus Christ, let me tell you, this is kindness to you. Because God is using this time to show you that the things of this earth do fail that they're not going to last. And he's beckoning you to put your faith in him in order that you might have life and life to the full. It's not just fire insurance. 
But this is what the scripture says out of 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And that eternal life is in his Son. And he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. He's using this time to beckon you to his Son in order that you might be saved, in order that you might know him, in order that you might have life. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you're not yet in Christ, he's using this time to say, believe in me, that you will not perish but also have life. You know, one of my favorite passages is Psalm 16.2, which says, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord, and apart from you I have no good thing. But then at the end of that same psalm, in verse 11, it says, In the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy, and in his right hand there are pleasures forever. You see, God wants us to find us the full life that he has for us in him. And it's not so he can just take control and make life no fun. No, it's a greater adventure than that. So, friend, if you're yet to put your faith in Jesus Christ, he's beckoning you. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But again, this is an extraordinary time. And God, our sovereign God, is using this to get our attention. This COVID-19 thing, we can't escape it, right? It's all over. It's, it's affecting our community. It's affected our lifestyle. You may be fearful, you may be sick and tired of it, annoyed of it, but we can't ignore it. And it has people thinking. It has people talking. And God who's in control, he doesn't waste anything. He has something that he wants to accomplish. And we may not be sure all that that is. But again, for those of you who have yet to put your faith in Christ, maybe it's to reconsider a God who has been ignored, discounted, and discarded, of not having any value, not having any relevance in your life. Life is out of control. Maybe you're asking the question, maybe somebody else is in control. And by the way, that's a worthy thing to explore. You know, believers in Christ, this is an opportunity to have some significant conversations with people. Be ready. And be ready, number one, to listen. Number one, to listen. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Be quick to listen, folks. And then let's engage. Let's engage with this word of life that God has given us. And for us believers, yes, God is using this to prove, to prune, to purify our faith. But he's calling us for such a time as this to step up into this extraordinary time. It's his time, but it's our time as well. Our feet are up against the Red Sea. We are at the bottom of Jericho's wall for such a time as this. And we're called to make disciples. We're called to be his witnesses. We're called to glorify our Heavenly Father in Heaven with our good deeds. God is doing something 
are we ready to join him? Are we ready to say, hey, here I am, God, send me, even if I don't know all that you're doing? And that means having extraordinary faith in an extraordinary God. To pursue him like he does want to do something. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith, it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Are we going to earnestly seek him? We're not extraordinary in ourselves. (laughs) But we make ourselves available to a God who will graciously extraordinarily use us through this time. But it needs to be anchored in these things. It needs to be anchored in these these truths. Number one, and we know this, we've talked about this already, God is with us. Well, you know, these last two weeks, out of Psalm 46, out of Psalm 23, Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Psalm 23, 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. And then Jesus' words, as he leaves this earth, and he says these words to his disciples, and we're, we're heirs to this. And he says at the end of Matthew 28, verse 20, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I want to break that down to kind of a a more wooden, literal translation, because I want you to see here. The first word in that clause is, Behold. Behold. And I know sometimes we think that's kind of some um, Elizabethan thing. Behold! But he's saying, Look. Look. Look at me. Look at me. Behold. And it says this next. I with you, I am. And I know that sounds like Yoda speak, right? I with you, I am. But what he's saying is, look, there's redundancy, redundancy for emphasis. I, I really am. I am with you. I am with you. And then it goes on to say, all the days. That means all the time. There's never going to be a time. Never going to be a minute. Never going to be a second. Never going to be a day. Where he will not be with us. And then it reads out, until the completion of the age. He's going to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in history in time. He's going to be with us the whole time to the very end of all human history. God is with us. Number two, God is in us. If anyone is in Christ, Jesus sends his spirit to dwell within us. Romans chapter 8, verse 11, and and there are a ton of verses I could have gone to, but I'm just going to look at two. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. You see, his Holy Spirit comes to live within us. 
and to give us life, living His life through us. And eventually to resurrect us from the dead. And that Spirit, that Spirit He's given to us, many of us have memorized this passage. This is 2 Timothy 1.14. God did not give us a spirit of fear. And I'm not trying to say anything negative about anyone who's struggling with fear or anxiety, but I want you to know that that spirit is not from God. That's not from God. Rather, He's given us a spirit of love and of power and a sound mind. That is what He has given us. God is with us. God is in us. And God, number three, wants to work through us. Ephesians 2.10 For we are God's workmanship. That means God is working through us. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which He prepared in advance for us to do. When you put your faith in Christ... (laughs) God starts employing a whole program of things He wants to do in us and through us. He's the one working through us. And the truth is, we can't do anything without Him. Now the classic passage about this is what Jesus says in John fifteen five. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, You can do nothing. If we remain in Him, we'll bear much fruit. During this extraordinary time, friend, let's remain in Him. So God's got us. God is with us. God is in us. And He wants to work through us. So here's the $64,000 question. What does that look like? What does that look like? And I've done my best and maybe God wants to work in your heart and your mind and how he wants to do that. But number one, look for an opportunity in the everyday. You know, Jesus met everyday needs in order to help others see the greater need that they had for him and his salvation. And I know during this shelter-in-place time, um, it's a challenge, Right? But keep your eyes open and pray that God will give you eyes to see. And maybe it starts out with just a a 12-foot conversation with your neighbor. Across the yard, over over the fence, what have you. But just engage them. You know, because they've been shut in like we have as well. Or maybe it might be something like picking up food for a neighbor at the store and putting it on their doorstep. It's serving them. Or if you haven't seen them for a while, giving them a phone call and just saying, hey, are you doing okay? Are you all right? And to participate in things that are are going on in your neighborhood. In in my neighborhood, there's a a thing for kids where people are putting bears in their front window so the kids can kind of do a bear hunt. So, you know, participate in that. And, and, And these things, maybe no significant conversation happens but you're sowing seeds of trust for the future that might be harvested later. But be daily praying, saying, Lord, 
Today I'm available to you. Show me who needs me, who needs you the most. So, look for opportunities in the everyday. Number two, operate as though it all depends upon God. Because it does. Because it does. I'm going to read to you the passage that kind of got me thinking this, this way, this whole week. And I just want you to listen to Jesus' words, okay? This is Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 38, if you want to turn there with me. Again, I'm reading through, uh, I'm reading with the NIV here. And these are Jesus' words. He says, But to you who are listening, I say, Love your enemies, and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High. Because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You know, for any day, even if it's not an extraordinary time, what Jesus just said will take extraordinary faith. And it will take the knowledge, the presence of knowing that God has got us, He's with us, He's in us, and He's wanting to work through us. So, I don't know if you've got people in your life who you're at odds with, but think about this. And this time, maybe being kind to somebody who's not kind to you. And that might just mean <laughs> not laying on the horn to the person who just cut you off in traffic or took that last roll of toilet paper. If someone takes you for granted, help them anyway. Give with no expectation of being uh, of there being reciprocation. And I, I want to say this, and I'm going out on a limb, and you know, let the Holy Spirit lead as as He would. But 
You know, a lot of us are receiving stimulus checks. And, you know, some of us really need that. So praise God for that provision. Some of us don't. Maybe we need to ask, Lord, how would you have us use this money to advance your kingdom? Forgive somebody who's hurt you deeply. That doesn't mean you need to trust them. That doesn't mean you need to welcome them into your house. But take them off of your emotional hook that wants to repay them and put them on God's emotional hook. Because he's better at justice than we are. And pray. Pray for their salvation. Pray for their restoration. Pray for their blessing. Because that person may not know Jesus. And I'll tell you, hell is too hot and eternity is too long. But be like your heavenly Father. And again, this is trusting that God has got you He's with you, he's in you, and working through you. And you know the worst that can happen is you end up being more like your Heavenly Father. And the best that can happen is he might surprise you. God might do something that you didn't expect, but you have to act like this all depends upon God, because it does. It's his work, not our work. It's his work and our work. But I want to say this, and I want to say this with uh, all sincerity. In pursuing extraordinary faith, there is what I call an even-if clause. An even-if clause. That is the possibility that if you trust God, somehow you might come into harm's way. And I just want to point out a few examples of this. I've been pointing to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who served before King Nebuchadnezzar, commanded to bow down to a 90-foot golden idol. And they say no, twice. And an angry king, the most powerful man in the world, has his furnace heated seven times greater than ever before. And this is their answer. They say, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace... The God we serve is able to deliver us from it and will deliver us from your, your majesty's hand. But, even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. And if you know the rest of the story, they were thrown into the furnace. They were not burned. In fact, there seemed to be four men in there and one like a son of God. When they came out, they didn't even smell like smoke. And a powerful king got a lesson in who was really in charge. Esther. Her name really is Hadassah, actually. But she finds herself through a beauty pageant becoming the queen of all of Persia and Media. And she's in a place where she can only come into the king's presence when summoned. To do so without his permission is to put her life at risk. But now her people, the Jews, have a genocide order over their heads, and her cousin Mordecai says, you need to go to the king. She says, I can't. He hasn't summoned me. And he says, hey, if you don't know that you know, salvation will come from somewhere, but maybe God has appointed you for such a time as this. And so she says this in response to Mordecai. 
Go gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And my attendants will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. And as it turns out, God had put Esther in this place for such a time as this, to be an advocate for the people, to save them from genocide. So those two stories, you know, people were willing to risk their lives and their lives were saved. But there are also times where the saints give their lives. The Apostle Stephen, in Acts chapter 8, is testifying about Jesus Christ and he's confounding those who are against him and they end up stoning him. And you kind of wonder, oh, what good comes out of that? But you know from that, because of the persecution, the gospel actually spreads. It starts spreading to the Gentile world, goes to the Samaritans, goes to the Gentiles, to a, a Roman centurion named Cornelius. The gospel spreads. Up to that point, things have been kind of comfortable in Jerusalem. But the gospel spreads to the world. God works all things for those who love him and are called, for the good, for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Probably more closer to our time, at least in the, the 20th century, a man named, um, hello, <laughs> Jim Elliot. Jim Elliot trying to reach a South American tribe of Alka Indians. And they're not having any of it. In fact, they're plotting to kill anyone who comes forward. And, and he and his friends go on a sandbar to try to make contact with, with these Alka Indians after dropping gifts day after day, and they're killed. And this is in Time Magazine and all over the world, and people wondering what good comes out of this. But a few years later, Jim Elliot's family is able to move in with this Alka family, Alka tribe, share the gospel, and the whole tribe turns to Christ. Those who took Jim's life now have life in the Savior that Jim wanted to proclaim. And he would say, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to save what he cannot lose. This is the truth. We're not living for just this life. This is not all there is. There's a greater reality. There's an eternity that we need to be living for. And where we get stuck as believers, oftentimes is where we shrink back because we are living for the pleasures of this world or the safety of this world. And we're trying to protect ourselves. When God says, no, I've got you. I've got you. The Apostle Paul will express this in Romans chapter 14, verses 7 through 8. None of us lives to ourselves alone, and none of us dies to ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. He's got us. He's got us for all eternity. We are safe in His arms. 
Now, I have no idea if some of us might live, lose our lives in the midst of this COVID um, crisis. And I want to say I'm not encouraging anyone to be uh, foolish. I'm not encouraging anyone to be careless or not take precautions. But I don't want to shrink back, folks. I don't want to shrink back in this time where God wants to do something. And I hope that's true of you. Again, this is an extraordinary time. And God is doing something. Will we show extraordinary faith? And that doesn't mean just you know, flailing around trying to do anything. But again, to have ourselves planted and rooted deeply in Jesus and then saying, Lord, show me how you want to use me. And then going forward. And it might seem a little bit foolish if God is speaking to you. But to trust, again, that it all depends upon him, and it does. We're living in an extraordinary time. We're called to live in extraordinary faith in an extraordinary God and trust that he's going to do something in us and through us. These might be the best of times. They may be the worst of times. But they're the only times that we have. And God is calling us to step forward. I hope you're encouraged in the Lord. I hope you're encouraged in the Lord. Who's got us. Who's with us. In us. And wants to work through us. Let me pray and then I'll invite the worship team to come up and close us in worship. So Lord, again, we want to look to you, not to ourselves, not to our own abilities, not to what we can control, but what you control. And Lord, you have us. You have us in your arms. You have us. You have us. These times in your hands. And I believe you want to use us. So, Father, would you stir up within us your Holy Spirit, a spirit of love, of power, of self-discipline. Help us not to shrink back in fear, but to move forward, because you are an extraordinary God in whom we can put our extraordinary faith. So I thank you. I thank you that we are yours. And, Lord, for that person who has yet to put faith in you, would you be drawing them to yourself? And and if that's you, you can pray right now. Lord Jesus, I have been living my life on my own, on my own terms. I pray that you would come and forgive me for that. I trust in what you've done, Lord Jesus. I'm living this life that I couldn't live. Dying to pay a penalty I couldn't pay. And then rising from the grave to give me life that I don't have in myself. Come. Come and take control of my life. Come and be my Savior. Come and be my Lord. And I trust in what you've done. If that's you, friend, take that step of faith. If you're not sure, please give us a call love to help you with that. But Lord, we commit our way to you. Use your people. Be glorified in us. 
And Lord Jesus, in your name I pray these things. Amen.